I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 48th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is our favorite social networking tips. And Sharon, I'm going to start out with my favorite tip just because it's so obvious and easy to say and almost impossible to do. And that is don't do anything stupid with social media. <laughs> you know, that's easy for us all to say, but, but with the uh, cameras with the in phones in people's hands all the time, it's really hard to do in practice. I know a lot of people are pretty good about protecting their privacy on social media, but it's their friends they have to worry about. But I do have some sympathy there, Sharon. Can you imagine if we had spent our entire youth with everybody there ready to document our most stupid moments 24 oh, hours a day? I, I, there are still a couple of photos that I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I hope to gosh, I never see them on Facebook. <laughs> but, but I think you're, you're right, Jim. We, we actually noted someone very close to our hearts uh, who was posting over the weekend about the moonshine party. That's, that's probably not a good thing. Oh, yes. But like I say, I, I just think that, you know, and we're going to get more into this a little bit later, but I just think the idea that these tools are, are private is, is an illusory idea at best and an outright fraud perpetuated by some of the providers at worst. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jim, and I, I'm not sure how I could say it more colorfully. That's that's really true. <laughs> well, shall we be, go on from rule one to uh, the, the next topic here? Sure. First of all, let me let me uh, mention the news of today, which uh, John, uh, who is our technologist here on this podcast, gave me, and that is that starting today, apparently any URLs you click on on Facebook are going to be routed through WebSense, which uh, their database will then determine whether they potentially carry malware. So I think that's a very good thing. At least they're they're doing something for our protection, because I think so many people have gotten drive-by malware from Facebook and other social media sites. As well, I don't mean to pick on Facebook, although it's tempting, but that's that's a good move. Let, let me move on to how you save time with some of this stuff, because I imagine most of our listeners, just like us, Jim, are chronically overworked, exhausted, and trying to figure out how they're supposed to get done what they're supposed to do that day. Uh, it really is difficult. So there are times when you have time for social media, and there are times when it's very difficult to find times for social media. So one of my favorite tips is, is, is to make yourself bad weeks and good weeks. If you've got good weeks where you've got some free time and you can mess around with it, great. But if you don't, if it's a bad week, have a plan. Now my plan is that I will feed to multiple places, and the only thing I will try to do in a bad week is get two blog posts out. Generally, Tuesdays and Thursdays doesn't always work that way, but it's close. And it takes me maybe 15 or 20 minutes to get a respectable blog post up, uh, usually something that's going to be of interest to, to the folks who follow me generally on you know electronic evidence, information security, legal technology, one of those topics. So I will do those two blog posts. And then my blog feeds to Twitter, and Twitter feeds to Facebook and LinkedIn. So with a single post, I've hit four places. That, I think, is a very effective use on a bad week of social media, and it's the best you can do. I also think it, it, it doesn't overwhelm people, because some people post way too much anyway, and they post too much on all these social media sites, and people get tired of the same person talking over and over and over again. Certainly, if you're only doing two posts, that's, that's going to be good. And one more kind of related tip. 
is is to make sure that the blog title is something that's really kind of enticing, you know, sex up that title because then people will want to retweet it or share it or whatever else so that you'll get a little bit more out of it. And, and a caveat, which I've seen one of our friends do, Jim, is, is not to double feed it so that you're ending up with two, two Facebook posts it becomes a loop. So you have to really pay attention to what you're doing. And if one of your friends tells you to fix it, you should fix it because it's annoying people to get the double, the double postings. Yeah. Of course, the, the issue with that is if you have friends that are involved in all these social media, then you posting four times casts a wide net to catch people who might only follow you in one, but those of us who are attached to you four ways get it four times that day. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But I don't mind that as long as it doesn't come up twice. I, I completely agree with that. I uh, will, will also add to that that uh, this summer, uh, Catherine Sanders Reach and I, uh, Catherine's the director of the ABA Legal Technology Resource Center, we wrote a uh, an article on social media management tools that we'll link to with the show notes of the podcast. And, and there are a lot of these tools that you can use. I really would like to spend some more time with that, but obviously some of these tools to manage where you can prioritize what you read and things like TweetDeck and, and some of these others are going to be interesting. So I, I wish I had more time to spend on those to have better tips, but I totally agree. That's my problem. I'm sitting here with having done a blog post in two weeks just because it's been you know those kind of two weeks. But moving right on, you know, you and I, I would say, are primarily, as you noted in your your tip, bloggers. What, you've used blogging for quite some time. I have even a little longer. What are your thoughts about blogging as a social media tool? Well, I absolutely love it. I, I think someone said, I, I wish I could claim credit for this, but I can't. Somebody has said the point of blogging is not to become famous, but to become a little bit famous. And, and I would agree with that. If, if you really have something to say, if you really watch a given space, and that's what you blog about, I think you can be very successful. As you know, Ride the Lightning, which is my electronic evidence and information security blog, it, it's been up now for several years, and I've been honored, as you have, by being in the ABA Blog 100, which, which is very nice that people take note of you like that. Uh, but certainly, when I say a little bit famous, I mean that reporters follow this thing, obviously. And we get probably at least once a week, we do an interview with a reporter. And so we've been on all the national networks, CNN, um, even in Oprah. Forbes has, I think, hit us three times in the last month. Thank you to our pal Ben Kirschberg for that. It just it goes all over the place. So I think blogging can be very, very helpful. And I've noted that though you can't really tell how many RSS feeds are, are picking your blog up, I notice that uh, we, we have a, a little counter on our blog, and it, it, it ends up that probably close to 1,000 people actually visit the blog each week, which is amazing. <laughs> it really is kind of a... Uh, it gives you more pressure when you do that last proofing on the post, or at least it does me, right? To oh, sure you get those typos. That's why. That's why not only do I reproof it, but I send it to John as well to make sure that he's looking at it too, because it's so easy to not look professional. And I like the fact that I, I think mine does. <laughs> well, and and I will also add that you know I do the Jim Calloway's Law Practice Tips blog, as you know, and have for a long time, and I've got some recognition with that, and it's also a great place to send new lawyers to say, here's a, a, an archival side of tips for you. But, but I think blogging really fits into most lawyers' lifestyles better. Uh, it's a strain 
to get anything in 140 characters, but even in a few sentences, a lot of the topics that lawyers would want to write about or, or that might make them uh, uh, have a marketing spin to it where clients read it and think, oh, I might use that lawyer. I mean, aren't going to be done in even a Facebook post. Uh, you know, three or four or five paragraphs is often needed to develop those ideas. So I do think lawyers should really start with a blog if they want to get into social media as as kind of you know one of the bases a blog and a website and then and then move outward into those others yeah i agree with that jim and of course if they want to just sign up for the others and they want to link it to the other sites then they're still getting the four for one bang even if they're not actively using the other sites so much and then of course uh I've already mentioned it, so let's move on. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on Twitter. I know you're quite a frequent tweeter. <laughs> uh, John wants me to make sure that I mention that he calls me the queen twit. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought I was born to the purple, and apparently I am. Twitter is, is it's an interesting phenomenon of our times. It's certainly a place to find breaking news. Uh, we're starting to see companies like United and Hilton responding instantaneously to criticisms or problems that develop and, and are tweeted about. So you're seeing some really interesting uses of it. I use it this way, and this is how I think most lawyers would use it. I find people to follow who are really interesting and give good information, and I don't want to hear about the cat's hairball or what kind of pizza you like or any of that, but they just give out really valuable information. I don't think you can follow more than 100 people effectively, and, and that was confirmed to me by the social media genius that we know, Rob Robinson from Orange Legal Technologies, and we were discussing this last week at lunch, and he said exactly the same thing. Otherwise, you're just spending too much of your time trying to follow these people. And some days, I'm not really looking at all because I'm just too doggone busy. But what I do in posting on Twitter is I try to make sure that anything I post other than my blog's title, if I'm, if I'm seeing a really good, interesting story that people might like to have about data breaches, I'll just make sure that I sex up the title a little so it catches people's eye and they're more likely to retweet it if what I post in that 140 characters, including the tiny URL link, if what I post sounds interesting then that's something that they're going to want to retweet to their own followers. And you can get just an enormous amount of reach by doing that. And you don't have to do a lot of it. I'll tell you, the people who tweet all day long, unless you're a celebrity or, or a sports figure or something, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think it annoys people. And I think that the fact that I tweet on a much more irregular basis means that people pay more attention to what I tweet when I tweet. I do too. I'd, I'd note that a lot of people use tools like TweetDeck, Sharon, to follow everybody, but then screen out the 100 into people I actually read and the other 90% into messages just there. It's it's a little intellectually dishonest to try to show to people you're following them when you're not, but I uh, obviously you see some of these people following two or 3,000 and you know that's a practical impossibility, so they're either not doing it at all or using some sort of tool. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I like uh, TweetDeck. I know a lot of people ask me what I use because Twitter itself really is not that – I don't think it's a very good dashboard for by itself, but I like TweetDeck. So that's that's my program of choice. I will tell you, though, as a, as a lawyer in private practice, you need to set up a Twitter account pretty soon if you, after you start a blog because, as Sharon says, even if you only send out once a month or, or two or three a month, 
if you post three blog posts and you send them out through Twitter, really in Twitter, people don't notice if you're quiet. And so you, uh, I'm sure you do this too, Sharon. I end up unfollowing somebody almost every month just because of the, you know, too much about their children or whatever. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's just, I have a limited amount of time. No, that's that's absolutely right, and and I know that uh, those who are looking for real information, they're they're going to take those people out, and and there's also people who, you you think they're interesting, and then they they progressively become less interesting, so <laughs> they they don't make the cut after a while. And that's not limited to social media either. Oh no, <laughs> no, that's very much real life. Let's talk about privacy, which on on social media, which I was very amused to see one judge in a judicial opinion called privacy on social media wish thinking and I think you you would agree with that I don't know how many hundreds of friends you have to have before which whatever you post is is not at all private and I think some some social media sites will actually say that nothing on this site should be regarded as being private Facebook which of course is is the poster child for uh, failure to protect privacy if you ever read its terms of service I mean it basically says we can do anything we want and we can change it anytime we want um, so it's it's basically take it or leave it and there was I think a time when people didn't really understand that we were all pretty naive about this stuff now I think people do understand that we are really the product we may be posting but it's not free Facebook is monetizing our use of Facebook by giving other people access to us or access to things about us. We are the product, and, and that's something that I think we've only just begun to learn. But Facebook and privacy, are they, they just those two words should never be used in the same sentence. <laughs> so I am not a fan. Now, LinkedIn recently has had some, some problems with privacy as well. So I think people should never post anything on either of those sites or anywhere else in social media that they honestly would not like to see in the Washington Post or the New York Times or that they'd be embarrassed if a, a future employer perhaps saw it or their own children or their mother, whatever. We all have to be a little bit more careful. And I mentioned the moon's, moonshine story a little bit earlier. I, you see things like that all the time and you see young people using really obscene language and they're probably kidding around. They're probably not meaning it, but that's not going to impress a future employer. Well, you know, one of my uh, parent who has a teenager said to me the other day she, that she said, you just have to understand the words don't mean the same to them. The F word, for example, doesn't have the same meaning that it does to us as the nuclear bomb of conversation. And, and, and perhaps that's true. I certainly believe that young adults and teens care a lot less about privacy. We're worried about our privacy settings and they're not even setting theirs. That's uh, true. That's true. And so I, I but I, but Facebook and privacy, if, if you want a fun exercise for our listeners, just go to Google or Google News and type in a search for Facebook and privacy, those two words, and you'll <laughs> see all sorts of comments. I was, you know, looking at, I just did that. And, you know, is Facebook trying to kill privacy and opinion piece? Facebook's new features might not be as private as you think five privacy tips you need to know, seven privacy tips you must know about Facebook. And, and so I think that's the point is, is uh, you can do certain things to limit things, but kind of like Murphy's Law, the thing you would most hope wouldn't get out is always the thing that's going to get out. And okay. so, yeah, you may not want your, your, pictures, kids be, your, your pictures of your kids being downloaded by everyone, and you can limit certain things to your friends, but the business of Facebook is to connect commercial interests with us in a bi-directional way. And, and we're going to have that served up to us. 
And, and I guess the most ironic thing to me was in September of, of uh, 2011 when Facebook came out with some really nice, understandable privacy tools that got a lot of applause. And within just a few days or weeks, did a new Facebook that now has the scrolling strip of everything that all of your uh, friends are doing that, that you can't even limit it going out. You have to go to your friend and say, please remove me from the scrolling list of, of things that you can see I'm doing. And that's not human nature. Well, sure. I'd like to see what you're doing. So, you know, you may be up idly playing some Facebook game because you're with a sick child at 2 a.m. and your friends will see you were playing games at 2 a.m. So a, lo a lot of the point about this is that a lot of the things you see through Facebook may be factually accurate, but the assumptions are not true. And that's why I think if you really want a private tool, uh, it looks like to me that Google Plus is really going to do that. But telling people to go to Google Plus and, instead of Facebook is like telling them to avoid the giant entertainment uh, complex where everybody goes to and to go to the little uh, cafe, even though a lot of people have signed up for Google Plus, it's going to be a while before it has the same kind of rich environment. You know, one of the things, too, about privacy in Facebook is that we, we know from law enforcement manuals that Facebook is capturing a great deal more of the data than, than we realize. It, it, it even knows who you've poked and how many times. And while that might be innocent, other, other things may not be so innocent. They have said, Facebook has said publicly before that what the user account shows that's active is all that it holds but we know that to be a lie because we've seen the law enforcement manuals and seen how much more they know and i'll give you an example that troubles me a lot in terms of privacy suppose you have a husband ex-husband and and he is looking at his wife's his ex-wife's facebook page all the time and the reason he's doing that is because he's paying her an ungodly sum of money every month in alimony and he's hoping to find that she's in a relationship or that she's been remarried and didn't tell him or whatever and that's why he's going there but suppose that there something horrible happened to this woman and now the the uh, law enforcement is looking at this guy as a potential person of interest they're going to see what looks to them like cyber stalking because it's not, it's not explained. You, you can't tell. It's the same as the sick child at 2 a.m. in the morning. People will know you're playing games, but they don't know why. Here is somebody checking on his ex-wife all the time, but you don't know why. So I can see a lot of misinterpretation of some of this information. And I'm just not happy that they keep, you know, what we search for and what we're looking for and what we're doing and, 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 and not telling us. Even the people we unfriend, things like that, they're keeping records of all of that. So so Facebook is evil. Search on that in Google Images, and you'll be shocked at how many images say Facebook are, is evil. And yet hundreds of millions of citizens will log in there today. <laughs> yes, yes, they will. That says a lot for uh, consumers worldwide. Now, the another tip that we have for you is just to watch your competitors. If you don't know how to use social media, maybe you're new and you're just dipping your toe in the water. One of the first things I did was start start watching other people. And one of the first people I watched, I mentioned him already, was Rob Robinson, who was then with uh, Applied Discovery and is now with, with Orange Legal Technologies. And congratulations, OLT. You got yourself quite a steal there. But Rob was so good at it that I watched him to learn and he really became a mentor to me but I watched some other folks as well so do that see what they're doing you're going to learn some of what you don't want to do like make direct sales nobody likes selling your snake oil 
very explicitly in your social media posting. So if you're going to sell, it can only be very softly. And, and it's more about education. If you're a true educator, people will cotton on to you and they know what you do for a living because you're talking about it and you become an expert in their eyes. You don't need to sell directly. That's uh, absolutely true. Building relationships is a lot better way and good salespeople know that you build relationships to make sales. I'm going to go back to what we might call a classic tip, but I think it's more important in the social media age and that is to Google yourself. More frequently now I get calls from lawyers concerned that disgruntled clients or actually opposing parties masquerading as clients or all these people are posting negative things about them on the internet. And I know there are companies that say they'll protect your reputation. I always found it ironic that when you search for those companies in your first page of Google search results, you'd sometimes find a negative criticisms of the companies. If they can't take care of their own business, I don't know how they're going to take care of mine. <laughs> but Google yourself, see what's out there. Try to have the nice thing about having these social media outlets is if there's something really negative about you on the internet, if it doesn't appear in the first two pages of Google search results, it might not even as well be on the internet. And so by having your social media outposts out there to come in those top 10 first page of Google search results, even if there's something negative about you on the internet, most people won't see it, but Google yourself and go past those first few pages of search results just to see what people are posting about you or there may be somebody you share a name with or any one of a number of things. But when clients look for you, they're gonna type your name into Google and you might wanna know what that exercise is gonna yield for them. That, that is really true, and I, I must tell you, I will be very happy when Sharon Nelson, who is a politician in Washington, leaves office. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot fewer alerts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk for a minute about event creation on Facebook, because I'm starting to see more and more of this. It's obviously must be a useful marketing tool, because people are doing this for whether it might be a charity walk, a seminar they're giving, some kind of party at their law firm or, or whatever, and they're doing the invitations and the inviting via Facebook, which is interesting. The other thing that really interested me was that when I looked up how to create an event, I looked it up this morning and I, I was so amused because all the instructions refer to the events box being on the right-hand side of the page, which it used to be, but of course it is no longer. So <clears throat> it's on the left side of the page and it says uh, events and you can go ahead and create one. It'll bring up a form for you and you can determine whether or not you want it to be public and public means open to anyone at all or whether you want it to be private so you can restrict it to a, a given number of people. You can also take people who are not on Facebook and by typing in their email addresses, you can still go ahead and invite them. And this, oh, and administrators, I forgot to mention that. You can have multiple administrators, which could be useful, I see, in a in a law firm setting. I think that could be very good. You can add photos and videos as well. So it's much more full-featured than it used to be. So it's something you might want to explore a little bit. Bring it up, just take a look at the form, you know, time, date, place, all that kind of thing, and then how you can push it out. It's, it's, it's really interesting, and I can see how there might be some very good uses for that. Yes, I think that's going to be uh, one of the areas that we're going to see used more. But, you know, if we were to come back and do this podcast a year from now, there would probably be some entirely new aspect or maybe a new social media service that we haven't thought about today. So stay tuned. Yeah, it, it changes every day. And, of course, uh, Jim, well, now we're going to be getting ready for the next month's podcast, which is our Tech Toys podcast, right? Right. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. 
Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.